Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the MedTech Podcast. You join me, your host, Karandeep Singh Badwell, and on this episode we have Ahmed Zobi, who is the CEO of Sinter Health Technologies, committee member of Biocam California, and an alumni of Mass Challenge. Ahmed came up with the idea of Sinter during his studies at the University of California, Irvine, with his team initially bootstrapping the business to now finally having the funding to successfully bring his product Sinterfuge onto the market a device used for microsizing of adipose tissue for body contouring. In this episode, he discusses the sacrifices him and his team had to make to grow the business, the challenges he faced as a young entrepreneur, his advice for students looking to enter the field, and what he learned from his failures early on during his journey. Hello, Ahmed. How are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. How's everything with you? No, completely excellent. So for the listeners today who don't know what Sinter Health Technologies is about, uh, what is it and how did you come up with the idea? So Sinter uh, Health Technologies is a medical device startup company based out of California, <clears throat> um, focusing on providing doctors with the ability to micro-size adipose tissue or your own fat tissue at the point of care for multiple types of procedures and, and surgical specialties. Um, and the way we started uh, was out of college actually. So we graduated, the majority, majority of the founders graduated uh, from UC Irvine. And uh, part of our last year at UCI was to kind of commercialize UCI IP that's been sitting on the shelf for a long time. But what we ended up doing was creating new IP. And that new IP basically became the heart of Center Health Technologies. And we won $14,000 in funding from the program. Uh, this was uh, part of the Economic Development Agency here in, uh, in, uh, in California, along with the BioXL uh, group out of Arizona. So they partnered up with UC Irvine to kind of provide this, uh, you know, commercialization competition type of thing uh, with our senior design class. And yeah, and then we were off. Uh, we graduated in 2016. We got our uh, first NIH grant in fall of 2017. And you know, ever since then, we've been working on perfecting the device, making sure that <clears throat> it fits the needs of our clinician partners, and you know, making sure that it can provide the best type of results for the patients at the in, at the end of the day. No, that's excellent. One thing I love about your company was that you didn't take the approach of seeking investors first, but instead worked with what you had and built the product. Would you please describe for us what how that process went for you and how you got to where you are today? <laughs> so I can say it's 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 like hell because you know to bootstrap a company just in general, it's very hard. You know, like everyone knows this. I have a lot of buddies. Um, who have bootstrapped companies, but to bootstrap, you know, a biotech, a medical device, a med tech company, that's on like a different level in and of itself. So yeah, you're hundred percent right. Sinter's uh, history is basically winning business plan competitions and basically shoving all that money back into the company instead of our own pockets. So the way it worked is that we as founders saw the value in our business and we made the ultimate sacrifice. We, you know, I drove for Amazon, you know, food deliveries, all of that. My co-founder did, you know, Uber and Lyft. 
So, you know, we paid ourselves by you know, doing all of those other things so that we can focus and pour in as much money as possible into the business, really help the product grow, to test out, to validate, to optimize, to, you know, get it through all the steps that it needs to, you know, go through in order to be ready for use. Um, and yeah, and then we were, we've been, we were applying for SBIR funding for like a year and until we got it. But, you know, that wasn't easy either. You know, I'm a, you know, I graduated out of UC Irvine with a bachelor's of science degree. I don't have a master's. I don't have a PhD. So the NIH and the review process already has me at a severe disadvantage uh, to the point that they're constantly saying, you know, this guy is too young. This guy can't handle a grant. This guy can't do this. This guy can't do that. And I'm like, I can, you'll see. And, and I did, you know, after we got our NIH grant, we successfully completed all of the, all of the parts that we needed to do. And, you know, now, now we're moving up, you know, ever since then we got FDA clearance, uh, we're getting into human trials, we're getting into commercial sales after our FDA clearance. So the bootstrapping aspect, I think really humbled us because it allowed us to add more value to the business versus going out and getting early investors because, <clears throat> And at least in Orange County. Now, everyone says Silicon Valley is, is a little bit higher on the valuation spectrum versus other places where they call themselves more realistic. But, you know, you would talk to like 10 different people here. You get like 10 different valuations ranging from two to 10. And it's like, you know, so for me, I was like, you know what? It's there's no point in doing it, going out early and, you know, getting early investors if the investment community itself doesn't really have a consensus of where to put us on that spectrum. Are we too early? Are we still ideation concept stage? Have we gone through validation now that we have animal data? You know, and even to this day, after FDA clearance, after you know, starting to generate sales, it's, I'm still being pushed you know, between that. Now, I think that's you know, the community and where you go, but ultimately for us, you know, my plan was to kind of ride the sales of uh, or ride the, the the coattails of you know federal funding and, and you know free money because I felt that that would allow us to get as much value as possible into the business without giving up you know a chunk of the company and it paid off you know and then we ended up raising 2.4 million dollars after that and you know we we didn't have to you know dilute ourselves significantly like you would normally do if you just went out and got super early seed stage or even pre-seed nowadays. So I think for us, it was just knowing the value of what we're putting together and making that sacrifice together is what really helped. Okay. So effectively, you made essentially nothing out of something. What would yeah. you say for the young <laughs> entrepreneurs out there who've got wonderful ideas like yourself, who want to get into business, but maybe don't necessarily have that investor backing? You know, what is the best way of going about this if you want to get your product out into the market? So to be honest with you, a lot of people don't understand that there is a ton of free money out there. So, you know, and, and as students, let's, 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 let's kind of focus on students for a second, right? If you're a student, you have one of the biggest benefits that this world could ever give you. And that is student business plan competitions, you know? And a majority of the business plan competitions, at least here in the US, you can apply to different states. Just because I live in California, I applied to, Texas Mass Challenge. I applied to Boston, you know, accelerators, business plan competitions. Duke had a business plan competition that was open to the U.S. 
a lot of these business plan competitions are not just secluded to the school that they're coming out of. You know, like we went to Rice, we went to Baylor. You know, Rice is one of the largest, if you're thinking about just lump sum funding that they kind of, you know, hash out and dish out every year. I think they did like $1.3 million in total funding. So, you know, that's divvied up between, uh, I think, 40 or so companies. And then, you know, the top 16 are competing for $300,000 in investments. Uh, so, you know, as a student, there's a lot of resources. Now, I get it because starting off, you know, as a student, I didn't really know that much until I got into my senior year where the course kind of backed up this whole entrepreneurship stuff. So the professors knew about business plan competitions. Other people knew about that type of stuff. But it was after I graduated that I started looking out more. And I'm like, wow, we can apply. You know, this place is giving $100,000 for first place, $300,000. Johnson & Johnson is doing a business plan competition. Somebody else is doing a business plan competition. So as a student, if you have an idea, why not? You know, you're still a student. You always have your degree to fall back on. You know, and you're still not done with your, your, your college career, or your university career yet. You can take a month or two, write out a good, you know, executive summary, submit it to a business plan competition. And, and if you get in, hey, if there's value and the, and the judges see the value and you, you know, you end up winning, hell, even if you end up losing, the fact that you got in and you moved down that pathway, that's that validation, you know, that you, that you need in order to kind of go off and pursue it. So, you know, I, I tell students and I, and I mentor and I, I do as much as possible on, on, in my free time. Uh, you know, I participate in a couple of accelerators and stuff to really help out students because I know coming from that same pathway, where to navigate and kind of what to ignore, who to ignore, who do you talk to, who do you not talk to. So um, one of the biggest things that I tell all my, all my mentees is that, hey, look for a business plan competition. You know, I know UC Irvine, it's only specific to UC Irvine and alumni and faculty and staff, but hey, it says you can, you need at least one student. Go out, find a student at UCI, form a company together, pitch, see if you win. So, you know, and then for, for people that are not students, for people just in general, they have an idea. There's a lot of, lot of programs out there. Now, again, this concept is revolving around at least the medical space. You know, I don't want to go beyond that for now, but med tech, biotech, medical devices, you name it. Um, the federal government has a lot of programs. You know, you have the NSF i program, which I think is one of the best programs uh, to participate in. And what NSF i does is it basically teaches you how to validate your hypothesis, what you're trying to do as a company, right? You're saying, I created this device to be able to do this for patients. Okay, cool. Who's the customer? The patients? No, it's the doctor that's prescribing it. But who's going to pay for that? The patient? No, it's either their healthcare insurance company or whatever portion of that leftover. So NSF ICOR really helps you do and conduct customer discovery. It's probably one of the most important things that any young entrepreneur or even old entrepreneur that's getting into a new field needs to conduct. And they give you $50,000. They give you $50,000 to go and interview 100 plus people. Uh, there are NSF i nodes. I think that's what they're called uh, in multiple states. So you can easily search it up. And there's a lot of resources such as the you know, Small Business Development Center in multiple states and, uh, and counties that you can look into that really understand and help you, again, for free, 
uh, you know, work on your business plan, work on your slide deck, work on all of this stuff to really help push you uh, to the next level. So for me, that you know, to summarize it as a whole, don't think that there's nothing out there. There's always something out there. You just kind of have to dig and search for it. No, I completely agree with that. And one thing that I love about you is that you're not afraid to talk about your failures. So could you please describe for us to the listeners today, what failures did you go through and how did you get out through to the other side? That's a good question. Um, as a company, as a, as a CEO, as a person, you know, I learned one great thing in, in my college career, and that was to fail fast and learn quick. So what does that mean, right? So academia in general, sometimes, most of the times, you don't really fail fast. You kind of test it until it kind of works out and, you know, ends up not really working out and you've already wasted so much time. When I was doing research at UCI, you know, I was trying to create a, a patch that would allow me to evenly, you know, pressurize and, and suck up, uh, you know, chemicals that are released by the body when the patient is burned. And I was having, I was having troubles. I was, you know, I tested out the design. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And then my, my, my mentor said, Hey, it's okay. Fail fast, learn quickly, create as, you know, create new, you know, patches, new designs until you, you know, until it comes together. And that's what I did. So, you know, I wouldn't hang up on it. I would just quickly make a new design, test it out. If it worked, great. If it did it, okay, quick, another test. What did I learn from that? What did I learn from this? And you kind of iterate, right? So at Center, you know, we had, we had a lot of issues, you know, logistics, we had, you know, uh, things didn't end up working out the way we anticipated, uh, the manufacturing process, you know, so, you know, the way we, we looked at our failures, right, especially like, you know, with the testings or anything else that we couldn't get right in the first go, is we said, okay, let's quickly analyze this. What failed? Okay, this aspect failed. How do we get it better? Well, you know, we have one of two, three ways that we can do this. Let's do all two, you know, let's do all three ways. You know, it's just because you might be spending a little bit extra money to test out three variations, it's better to test it out and know which ones work versus test out one at a time and waste more time. So for us at Center, I think time was really a big thing. You know, there was a lot of hiccups here and there. And, and, and that happens, you know, with, with a young startup that's still kind of learning as we go. Uh, you know, those hiccups really, you know, if we did not focus on how do we make sure that this ends up the way we need it to end up, um, we would have wasted months on it. So one of the biggest things, like let's talk about manufacturability and stuff like that. A lot of companies don't think, oh yeah, I could prototype this thing. But you know, when you actually go to a manufacturing you know, facility, whether it's 3D printing, injection molding, you're looking at your design, you're like, damn, this does not work injection molding. You know? And I think that was one of the biggest things that kind of like hit us. It was like, our current design is very difficult to injection mold. You know? It would require multiple parts, multiple, multiple laser weldings. So what we ended up going with was medical grade 3D printing. And that saved us a lot of time, a lot of effort. We did have to do a bit, a bit of R&D work. Uh, and, and that's what really helped push us through. Um, the other, you know, it's, it's, Center really, 
I don't want to say we haven't failed. We have, you know, we've learned a lot from our mistakes and, and, and many failures, but, you know, we haven't had knock on wood, thank God, we haven't had any critical like failures to the point that it's like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is really bad. Uh, again, it's mainly minor things like the manufacturization, uh, manufacturability, sorry, of our device, uh, getting samples was always a big thing. So, you know, we were, we weren't getting as much samples. So I went out got my own, you know, IRB exemption so that we can get samples to test out our device. So, you know, and then funding, let's, let's, let's talk about funding because that, that in and of itself is a failure. And here's, here's why I say it, you know, as an early, as a, as a first time founder, as a first time, you know, CEO startup, you're at least for me, my experience, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to broad stroke it. For my experience, it was difficult to raise capital, very difficult. Um, you know, you, I would have an investor that's like, yeah, we're gonna put in $500,000 and disappear off the face of the earth. And I consider that a failure, uh, a failure on my part for not knowing how to gauge investors early on, uh, for not knowing how to approach investors early on. So I started to learn, I started uh, to, you know, take part in organizations that talk about venture deals like the, the Kaufman Fellows and all that other stuff. And I really started to see what a lot of these investors want. And, you know, nowadays I could smell, you know, a, a not, I don't want to call it a fake event or a fake, you know, group, but like when, when somebody comes up to me and tells me like, Hey, we're going to have a, you know, a hundred investors. I'm like, yeah, no, you know? And, and that was because, you know, early on, you kind of chase the money when you're strapped for cash. Now we made, you know, I, the team and I made our money last a very long time, you know, and accomplished a lot in just a small amount of time as well. But when you're strapped, like, especially what happened during COVID, you know, you kind of look at yourself and you're like, damn, I'm a failure because one, right. We don't have the funding Two, how am I going to support my guys? And, and three, how are we going to get anything done? You know, when COVID hit, we, we barely, you know, we were scraping by. We, we had to, you know, lay ourselves off just so that the business can be, you know, kept up. And although I consider that a failure for, you know, not kind of being prepared, we were ready for it, you know, because prepared for COVID, but we were kind of ready for it because that's what we've been doing the whole entire time. As I mentioned earlier, we've been bootstrapping this company since 2015, when we were still, you know, college students in our senior year. But to me personally, I felt like I failed because I had kept the company in a position where we could have weathered the storm at a lot, much better than what, you know, a lot of people have experienced. But we went through those hard times. And, you know, thank God we, we got out of it, you know. A lot of companies uh, have failed. A lot of companies shut their doors. A lot of companies, they just imploded and, and disappeared off the face of the earth. So one of the biggest things that, you know, I was talking with a couple of VCs and, and buddies of mine, it's like, they were all saying like the companies that actually make it out of this pandemic are going to be the companies that really, you know, set themselves in stone for, for years to come. So although again, personal failure, I don't think as a company, it was that big of a failure because we knew what we needed to do. You know, we, we put all of our funds into our clinical trials, our FDA clearance application. And, you know, at the end of the day, 
it came back. We got our FDA clearance. We're getting human clinical data coming through. We got you know sales starting to generate. We're now back in the company, uh, you know, uh, really working as much as possible to make this happen. So at the end of the day, my you know point of wisdom to anybody is that fail quick and get back up. Learn as fast as possible from the mistakes that you made. And don't be afraid to do some sacrificing on the side. You know, like just because it failed, that doesn't mean the idea doesn't work. You know, I, I kid you not, uh, before we graduated, there was about six other startup companies that ended up not winning the first, second, and third place prize, but they had really, really good concepts. And they all just said, now nah, we're done. We're, we're going to go. We didn't win. And literally a year later, somebody else did the same exact idea, raised significant amounts of money. And now they're, you know, commercializing it. And I was like, I remember the, the year when I, after I graduated, I sent them a message. I was like, bro, you did this. They're like, damn. I was like, yeah, dude, I don't get why you did it. You know, focus on it. It's like, I don't know, man, we didn't win. I didn't think that the idea was good. And I'm like, well, this guy raised, you know, $35 million on the same exact concept. So, you know, don't let your failures control you. Just get up and just, you know, go to the next step. No, I completely agree with you. Being short-term sacrifice for long-term success is the key in business. And another question I have for you, being that we are both relatively young people in the medtech space, what problems did you face from the community and how did you overcome them? It's a very good question. Uh, I don't know if ageism is, is, is an answer, but it, it definitely is. Like, look, uh, like for example, the NIH side and, and I, nothing against the NIH, the review process has been set in stone as something that, you know, advanced degree people normally apply for these types of grants. You know, you never really hear of a kid straight out of college applying for an NSF or NIH, NSF grant. They are learning. NSF is learning a lot. They're modifying the way that they fund companies. They're trying to prevent reviewers from really focusing on the age of the, of the person. But it sucks. Like, you know, from a lot of things that I got in the community, it's like, oh, you, you're not going to know how to run a clinical trial. You don't know how to, you know, run in it, you know, a big team. And I'm like, I don't need a big team. You know, I'm happy with my team of six, seven guys and, and gals. And we're just, you know, we're kicking ass. But, you know, it was a lot of this, you can't do it because you don't have the experience, right? And I, every single time I heard that, I just would always think back to one of my other mentors that told me, he's like, I'm jealous of you because you don't know what I know. And I'm like, what do you mean? So this guy was a PhD. You know, he was working at a, you know, Fortune 500 company medical space. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm envious that I know I have so much knowledge because of my PhD that I can't really think outside the box. I'm envious of you because you don't have that knowledge. You didn't gain that. So you're able to think outside the box and maybe even create a new solution to a problem that has been you know, known for years. And I'm like, I was like, I, I, you know, I told him, I was like, I get it, but like, but you, you have your PhD. He's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm laser focused on what I learned. You know, it's difficult for me. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult for me to think outside and maybe even try a solution that others have tried in the past but failed and maybe put on a little spin on that, right? And that's what I, that's what I always think about 
when I ever hear somebody say, oh, you're too early, you can't hand handle a, a clinical trials team, I'm like, I'm handling a clinical trials team. I handled, you know, with my team, regulatory submission. We were just two people focused on, you know, focusing on that regulatory submission. So, and I, I'm in the lab. I'm the one doing the, you know, the tests. I'm the one that's doing the research because I don't have the funding necessary to go hire two PhDs and, you know, and a master's student to come in and, and, and work all of that. I had to do it myself. So in the community, being young, it sucks, right? You know, they always talk about, you know, get, get that gray haired, you know, sales or R&D or engineering guy in. I'm like, why? All he's going to do is tell me what we, you know, what the industry has done for the last couple of years, and it might not fit well with us. So for me, it was going beyond that community and really reaching out really far away from that community. So again, nothing against the community that I'm in. I know that they operate the way they operate because that's just the deal flow that they see. But as an entrepreneur, you need to know when your community is not fit for you or you're not fit for them is a better way. And you need to know where to expand to, you know? So like if here I'm in Orange County and I know San Diego doesn't care because they've seen entrepreneurs, young, you know, uh, hungry entrepreneurs really create great companies then go pitch in San Diego or in Florida where they know it doesn't really matter about whether you just graduated or you're a professor or whatever, the idea is the ones that they really focus on to go to Florida, you know? And the same way, same thing, same answer for any other area in, the, in, this, in this country. So something that you also have to do is you, you do have to build a team. You know, you can't just be in this, look, solo entrepreneurship. I know a lot of people that, that are soloing it and, and God bless them because, you know, if I, if I had to do this a hundred percent by myself, I, I don't know if I would be, you know, if I would be sane today, but for, you know, for entrepreneurs in general, yeah, having a mentor, having an advisor that recently sold a company in your space kind of pushes a lot of the stress away from focusing on you. So that's what I ended up doing. Right. Not just only expanding my network outside of the area that I'm in, but also making a variety of the team, showing that there's history, showing that these team members, although, you know, the co-founders are young, they just started first time stuff. We have team members like sales and marketing that sold the company regulatory that was part of, you know, Johnson and Johnson and all these other places or, you know, a scientific research officer that was part of Merck or NIH and all this stuff that helps validate the team. And these people can come up and stand up for you too. I highly, highly recommend if you're ever in a VC meeting and you know that they will potentially knock you down because you're young and you don't have that advanced degree and you're working on something so complex in their minds. But to you, it's like, but it's, it's easy. I'm just working on you know something like super simple. It's biology, right? We think it's simple, but then the VCs are like, oh, this is, you know, this is way complex and we got to get in our analyst in here and having that mentor, that advisor, that even board member at that meeting to talk about you and say, you know, hey, I've actually worked with Med for five years. He has done an amazing job. 
in organizing this team, completing the milestones, raising the capital that we need, and now generating the sales that, we, that we're having right now, that lends a ton of credibility because they're the, you know, the experts and the matter experts in, in that room, you know, the person that you're bringing. And that's what I did a lot with a lot of the investments later in our, in our career. I started bringing in our board, of our board of advisors, our board member. And I was like, hey, we're having a meeting with this, with this VC. We need you there. And he's like, I know he, he, he understood the job and he got it done. And that's what I recommend a lot of companies do to just help in at least in the early stages. Once you show traction, they're not going to care anymore. You know what I mean? But to show that validation, especially when you're asking for like, you know, let's let's call it what it is, anything above five hundred thousand dollars in a you know angel plus field, they're going to want to know who the hell the team is. Why am I investing in a young group of of, of people? And that's what you need to kind of give them that confidence. Like, hey, I know where you are. But this guy behind me has been in this field for 30 plus years and he's guiding us. The investor's like, okay, I could trust in the team, right? So when I approach it, I never approach it as an I, I approach, I approach everything as a we. How do we as center make sure that we look and we are playing the part that these VCs want to see, which is young, hungry entrepreneurs, but also back with knowledge and support from industry experts. So Ahmed, just like you, I mean, I'm in the same position. I want to be anywhere where I am today without my mentors. And I'm aware that you went through the Mass Challenge program. What exactly yep. was the program about? And what would you recommend it for other young entrepreneurs out there in the field? So the Mass Challenge was, a, uh, was an amazing program. So the way it starts off, so let me actually talk a little bit about it. So uh, Texas Mass Challenge, and they also have a bunch of other Mass Challenges, but it started off in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is a, I think, a six-month accelerator program where they kind of give you everything you need to know. They teach you, they have courses, they have speakers, they have everything. And you're basically competing for, if I'm not mistaken, like $750,000 or whatever broken up portions of that is. Um, unfortunately, we never made it to the finals, but it's fine because we got a ton of worth out of it. Uh, from the, you know, the accelerator side of the, of the competition. So what Texas Mass Challenge does is that you apply, I believe applications are coming out uh, either next year or they're already out. So you'd have to check, uh, but you apply. If you get in, you, you go through multiple review processes uh, and they'll tell you like, hey, this is what we found out in the first thing. And then you go through a pitch and then eventually you get into the program. And then, you know, the goal is to kind of work on your, your, you know, your progress as you move forward. And at the end, if you're lucky to be named into the finals, you get it, you get into the finalists. Uh, but one of the biggest things that I felt, you know, amazed by when it came to the mass challenge is that the network is pretty strong. Um, especially like, I know that they're expanding into space tech and all that other stuff. So a lot of uh, devices and, and stuff revolving around there, med space tech type devices too, if you're trying to do something with sensors and astronauts and all that. But they also have uh, connections with Boston, Israel, I think Rhode Island, Mass Challenge. So it's, it's a global type of initiative. 
Um, and I think personally, if you're an early stage startup, one, it's free. You don't have to pay. I think it's a $99 application fee, which I think gets waived anyways, but that, you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, you know, you get in and you really learn, you kind of, you know, you, you move forward. And as a start, as a startup, I already learned a lot of the stuff before getting into mass challenge. So there was a lot of new things, but the new things that I did learn really helped catapult us forward. But as a, as a fresh startup, if I, if I went to Texas mass challenge on my first year, uh, it's basically everything that I needed to learn right then and there. So I think it's a huge value for startups. First and foremost, my philosophy is you should never have to pay for an incubator, accelerator. I get that there are application fees. If it's reasonable, sure, go ahead. But always ask someone in your network, hey, have you ever participated in this? Or look up people. I've had multiple people ask me about whether it's Mass Challenge or another incubator accelerator. And I'll tell them like, yeah, hey, you know, this is really good. You should definitely participate in it. And I'm blunt, I'm honest. And I'll tell them like, hey, you know what? Honestly, I didn't see any value. But seeing as you're possibly in this field, maybe you can get value. I don't know because we were separated, yada, yada. We're in clusters of, of whatever. But personally for me, you know, I didn't see value. And I'm honest, you know, like I have multiple people come up to me like, hey, do you think I should do this competition or that competition? I'm like, is it free? They're like, no, they want $4,000. And I'm like, think about it. You know, $4,000, there's no guarantee that the investors will show up. And, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. Contact somebody, see what they said about the program. You know, like a friend of mine just told me about this venture pitch thing that's happening right now that. It's, it's, you know, you have to pay to, to pitch, but, you know, I'm waiting for her to let me know, like, hey, how was it? You know, was it worth the money? You know, is it just exposure? Because if it's just exposure, you don't need exposure. You can spend $4,000 traveling the U.S., going to other actual investment firms and pitching. So, you know, for me, it's, I think there's a lot of incubators and accelerators out there. There's a lot of them with business plan competitions tied to them. Match them up. Try to win the funding. Try to get and gain knowledge and really, really, really the one thing for me, do not blow your money on something that you do not know for, for certain and cannot be guaranteed that, that an outcome will happen. So personally for me, I don't, I don't like to do pay, pay to plays. I know a lot of people do and a lot of people succeed. It just has never happened for me. So I personally don't do pay to play. But I do anything that that is free or slight application cost, $50, $99, or you got to do the verification that you're a student or stuff like that. Those are more legitimate. You know what I mean? And in my opinion, not it's not saying that anyone else is illegitimate, but those are more legit because I understand where the fees are going to. Now, Ahmed, I respect the fact that you're willing to speak the truth. So to wrap up today, what one piece of advice would you leave your listeners with? one piece of advice it's really hard to think of one <laughs> there's, there's a lot um if you're in the medical space healthcare space in general let's just call it healthcare for now the one key advice that i can give is for you to know that you're not alone in this um the position of a ceo is, is one that is very lonely you, even though you might have co-founders, you might have friends, family, 
you know, you're thinking about this, or at least I'm thinking about this 24 seven. You know, I wake up, first thing I have to look at is my phone. Did I get an email? Did I get this? Do, you know, do I have to call somebody on the East Coast? You know, that type of stuff. So it gets very lonely because you feel sometimes that others don't understand what you're going through. You know what I mean? So one thing that I would recommend, and I really want to focus on, on that loneliness aspect, is to surround yourself with other groups of CEOs. Uh, and I think that's really helped me as a person individually progress with my company. Because, you know, looking back, I remember nights that I was just panicking. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to get this done. I need the money. The, the data's taking too long. You know, we need, we need to move forward. And I would just have sleepless nights. And it wasn't until... And, the, and, and real quick, the beauty is that you don't need a team of CEOs in your space. It can be a team of CEOs in every single space. So <clears throat> in the incubator that I was in previously, there were a lot of varieties, FinTech, MedTech, Diagnostics, freaking solar tech, all this type of stuff, law tech. And we were just, we, we, the CEOs and, you know, we would just come together as friends. You know, as we became friends, we became a family. And we would hang out, we'd go to dinners, we'd do whatever. And we would just kind of let it out, you know, just like talk about our frustrations, our stresses. And, you know, other CEOs would step in, hey, you know what, man, I feel for you 100%. You know, like, yeah, I was just dealing with, you know, this consultant yesterday and he charged me like $250,000 to do my app just to add a button to it. It's like, you know, you kind of share your experience. You kind of lift that off of your chest, but put it on, you know, your group of brothers and sisters chest, if you think about it, you get what I mean? And you, you equally share the weight of each other's, you know, uh, stresses and, and, and anxieties and all of that stuff. And I think the one wisdom that I can part to anyone listening to this is that form of that type of group, because You'd be very surprised. You might think, well, I'm in med tech. What is a guy that's in, you know, fintech going to do for me? You don't know. That guy could know your next investor, you know? But at the same time, at least that guy is listening to you or that gal is listening to you. And they're telling you like, hey, you know what? I feel for you. Don't worry about it. Get your results. You know, they just, somebody needs to just talk to you. So after listening to everything that we've, we've discussed today, there's a lot of lessons that you can learn. There's a lot of one-pointers that you can pick off from minute zero to you know, minute 45. But the one thing that I could say is that you should definitely create a small group of your peers. So if you're in a college class, small group of your peers. If you're in an accelerator incubator, a small group of your peers. And I'm not saying, you know, personally for me, this whole virtual thing is a lot harder for me because I like to interact, you know, in, in person versus virtually. But, you know, this day and age, you got to, you know, kind of adapt a little bit. So try to go out for lunches, dinners, whatever it might be, you know, get your frustrations out there, kind of ask your peers, what, you know, what do you guys think? Hey, you know what, man? Honestly, I'm not in your space. I don't know, but 
you know, if we were to take out your, you know, your space and put it to the side, I'll tell you, well, you need to fire your consultant, you know, you just, you just got to pull the bandaid off right now, or you definitely need to hire that sales manager, dude, you're working your ass off. You really need to, you know, you need to relax a little bit and have somebody else really take the help. So that's, that's what personally for me, I believe helped me get through a lot of the woes and issues that, you know, in the past of starting a company is having that group, that small network of, of friends that, you know, that could really help me see something in a different light. Ahmed, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. And I know we're on different parts of the world, but it'll be a pleasure if I can meet you in person one day. <laughs> Appreciate you having me here. Uh, yeah, you're you're 100 invited. And this is I have you know we have we're working out of what lab incubator called University Lab Partners right now here in Orange County. So if you're ever in California, hit me up. I'll give you a tour and we'll go get lunch. 100, Ahmed. Thank you very much sure. for today. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for listening to episode 15 of the MedTech Podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe. If you wish to learn more about Ahmed, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or visit his website at sintertechnologies.com. If there are any particular topics or guests you'd like for me to have on the show in future, then feel free to send me a message and connect with me on LinkedIn.